So as we are going to continue our study on what is a Reformed church, today we're going to be looking specifically at the doctrine of justification, obviously giving it a a cursory kind of survey look because we could talk a lot about the doctrine of justification. So before we uh, begin, we pray for us that the Lord would, would guide us through his word. Let's pray. Father, again, as we come to your word, we represent it as true and good and holy and necessary for the life of the believer. Lord, we pray that you teach us from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. These verses have caused quite a bit of stir over the years, uh, particularly that thing called the Protestant Reformation that happened. That was a little bit of a stir. So let me read Romans chapter 1, starting verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For it is, in the, for it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so again, this is the verse that caused Martin Luther to reconsider some of his thinking concerning the doctrine of justification. Uh, Luther was a, an Augustinian monk, and he read this, and he began wrestling with his own sin and understanding of the, the scriptures. And at, at the time, the Protestant church was selling these things called indulgences, or the Catholic church, excuse me, was selling things called indulgences, basically a way for people to buy time out of purgatory and basically buying and selling salvation, essentially. Luther had problems with that. In fact, he had 95 of them, and he posted them. He posted those problems or those that those theses to the door of the Wittenberg church, and uh, the rest is history. And so what is said here, <clears throat> the gospel is the power of salvation. To everyone believe who believes, the gospel is the power of salvation, not the work of man. In it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It is by faith alone, not the works of man added to that faith, but by faith alone. So again... This passage, among others, sparked that Reformation. We've talked about Scripture alone, and Scripture alone also being a very important part of the cry of the Reformation. But today we're going to look at three more ideas, grace alone, faith alone, and in Christ alone. Any questions before we move on just on that basic little idea or questions from Romans 1, the passage that we just read? Again, we're going to kind of bear some of these things out as we go. Um, we're going to basically look at justification and then what is grace, faith, and ruling by in Christ alone. And again, just a very cursory look, but um, if there's any questions, we can talk about them. All right. So you've, all, you've heard me say it. You've heard Andy say it. We talk about this idea of the doctrine of justification. Well, what does it mean? What is the doctrine of justification? The Heidelberg Catechism question number 60 I think has a very good definition of this and along with of course our own Westminster standards but this one is I I love this 
question from the Heidelberg. It says, how are you righteous before God? And the answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience, conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and is as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Great definition. Very full. Uh, again, very comprehensive of what this idea, of what justification means, of what grace is, what faith is, and what in Christ alone means. And so let's get right to this and talking about grace. What is grace? Grace is talked about quite a lot nowadays in Christian circles. It's sang about if you read or if you listen to like popular Christian music or worship music, you hear the word grace quite a bit. Um, but what's interesting, if you go and ask the average Christian, I've done this before with my some of my high school students, that they as they enter into conversations with me about their faith and they'll ask me questions and I'll ask just a question like, well, what is grace? They can't even begin to talk about it. They have no foundation from which to build. They just know that it's one of those churchy words that we say. And so, what is that? Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I think this passage, as well as any other, gives us a perfect picture of the grace of God. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Actually, stop there. How does Paul, or what picture does Paul paint of the people, of us, as man in Christ, or without Christ? Dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And then how does he categorize that? Children of wrath. Sons of disobedience. Is there anything good there that can be said? Nothing good. It's all bad. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He is making sure that we understand, without Christ, 
we are deserving of his wrath. We don't, there's nothing that we deserve. That is the most important idea here. No one is good. No one seeks after God. No, not one. And so look then at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is grace. Children of wrath, sons of disobedience, those who were dead in their trespasses and sins have been given all of these great things, has made us alive, has raised us up with him, has seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show us his immeasurable riches and his kindness. Why is he doing those things? For his own glory. Because he loves us. That is grace. A very simple definition. Someone says, well, what is grace? What, how can you define grace? It is God's unmerited favor toward his people. It's God giving us something that we do not deserve. There's, there's nothing that we brought to the table. He does this for us completely because he loves us. I think one of the best pictures that I think that I can see of this, and it, it's an it's a illustration so it fails at a lot of points, but I, when I think of, well, first of all, I think of my own childhood. I just got through visiting my mother, so I was reminded of my childhood over and over. And uh, good, good things, mostly. And uh, I was horrible. I deserved nothing from that woman. I was horrible. I only was only ever disobedient. I didn't obey even the simplest of things that she would ask me to do. I would run my mouth at her constantly. I thought I was smart as the, you know, 13-year-old dummy. I thought I was the one who knew better. I thought I was the one who was wise. And my mom, for some reason, did not chop my head off while I slept. That was grace. She fed me every night. I didn't even have to ask. I just walked in the kitchen and there was food. My bed was made. My clothes were folded. None of those horrible person that I was. And now I have my own kids and I've seen the other side of that coin. You know, they, they'll, they'll be fighting and then fighting and at each other and then the next words out of their mouth, what's to eat? They're, they're undeserving. If you have kids, you know that. But we do it anyway. Why? Because we love them. Now, the difference between us and our children, if I stopped feeding my kids, the police would come get me, rightfully. I have an obligation to my children. I should feed them. It is right for me to do so. God, on the other hand, had no obligation to us outside of Christ Jesus. And that is important for us to understand. 
We throw around these words all the time, well, I'm undeserving. But we really, deep down, want to hold on to the fact that he is somehow obligated to me. He's not. Or wasn't. Now, of course, in Christ, he has a promise that he will keep for us in Christ. But not because of us, but because of Christ. And so that goes against a lot of what is generally thought of today. Grace is generally thought of being nice. Well, he showed me a lot of grace. You know, and that, and that, that's fine to use the word that way. But I want to make sure that when we talk about it in this sort of context, that we understand that grace is giving horrible people this wonderful thing. Any thoughts, questions, discussion about that before we move on? Great job explaining grace. One of the ways that I'm going to use from time to time that concerns me is, and I see this on online, I've talked to people about this one-on-one where they say, well, I believe in a God of grace. In other words, I want to minimize everything you said about the God of the Bible that he would not judge me or my friends or anybody for anything because I believe in a God of grace. And so that kind of God that anybody could go along with is described as a God of grace. And you don't mean that we believe in God's grace to the exclusion of all of his other attributes. Right, that's good. And the way you describe it, though, is different than some because you're describing it saying It's grace that we can even be talking about that. Why? Because in light of what we deserve, it's grace. We deserve God's wrath. And therefore, it's all grace. But other people use that a different way today. Totally. That's great. I'm glad you brought that up. To talk about His grace is not to to not talk about His wrath or any of those other things. It's all encompassing. He is all those at the same time. And it doesn't at all excuse your sin. And that's important. Good. One of the best scriptures in the Bible for explaining that is Isaiah 6. Yeah. You know, so here's the guy that's going to bring the message. And what does he say about himself in light of seeing who God is in his holiness? I'm undone. I'm unclean. Woe is me. You know, who am I, Lord? Um, that kind of response demonstrates God's grace to him to even be having those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And number two, to, that God is gracious, that he uses imperfect vessels, but it doesn't minimize what he did, what God did, mm-hmm. because in order to show that grace, that's what we want to bring everybody to, is how did God do this? Right. How did he show his grace to sinners when they deserve his wrath and punishment? Did God just change the rules? No, He fulfilled the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. it's good. And it ties into a lot of what we talked about with the covenant last week, too. Yeah. You know, he, he had, he had, He's fulfilling the covenant. And he, you know, who do you make a covenant with? You know, we couldn't do it. We couldn't fulfill the terms, even, the, even remotely. That's good. Anything else? Go ahead. Um, just, to, just to kind of add a little extra to what you were saying as far as just that the centrality of Christ and that union with Christ um, especially when it comes to justification um, so grace and, and union with Christ 
Obviously, as, as Reformed Christians, we, rec- we, we affirm the doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's helpful to realize that how great, and I know this is just for justification right now, but just looking forward, like, it's, it's always going to be, as Danny was talking about, um, just how far that grace goes, like, all the way through redemption, from your effectual calling all the way to your glorification. There's mm-hmm. the, the grace of God in the in union, not because of anything that you've done, but with that union that we have in Christ. It's not you, it's, it's Christ. And it's by His grace, and that's how we. That's how you see the the, the span of it in your life. Um, it doesn't change. It just you know. It doesn't change through the process of justification. Like Christ's role, His significance doesn't change as you're being sanctified. It's always Christ. Mm-hmm. That's good. And it's not like a one-time thing. Like you know, I'm giving you a gift, you open it up, the occasion is over. It's it's a continual, ongoing process. Mm, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Even. Even in glory, we'll still need His grace. Look, remember what they're saying in Revelation? I mean, it yeah. continues on and on. Mm-hmm. That's good. And when they, and I love the elders, what is their response? So every time that the, the, the creatures come and the elders then fall down, what do they say? You know, where they you, yeah. Yeah, they repeat that over and over. That's good. It's just the grace. Todd, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say something that triggered me with the justification. Uh, the easiest way I've ever been able to remember that, of course, I heard it was through Bob Warren. He said, Justification is just as if I never sinned or ever will again. Mm-hmm. And I, that stuck with me. And now I see that he borrowed that from the Howard. From Howard, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Anything else? We'll move on to faith. Everything's, I mean, this is all tied together, too. So, you know, I think a lot of times we want to compartmentalize things, but <clears throat> what we're going to see is we define faith, and I'll just, I'll just go on. So faith, just a quick definition of it, is just belief in the unseen. It's all through the Bible, we are called to believe in God. And so our faith, then, is something that we place in Him. You know, we, we place our faith in God, and we believe in Him. We're called to call upon His name. We're called to believe in Him that He is raised from the dead. All these things that we've never seen before, we've only read about. That is faith on our part. However, the important thing about our understanding of faith, which is I think oftentimes sets us apart, particularly as Reformed Christians, that faith is also something that we could not muster on our own. It is a gift. So turn back to Ephesians chapter two. Continuing on, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, grace through faith, this is not your own doing. It is a gift. And why does it have to be a gift? Why is it a gift of God? Not a result of work so that no one can boast. Because if my own faith is something that I could somehow muster, yet I've heard the claims of Christ and I have intellectually assented to them, I have now decided that he is right and and that is the right way, then I can somehow, look guys, I was smart enough to, to do this and you should be smart enough too. And then it becomes our own intellectual problem that we somehow have to solve as opposed to 
a sin problem that we have no way of solving in and of ourselves. And that, that should change the way that we evangelize as well. I'm not trying to convince someone. I'm just telling them about Jesus. Jesus does the convincing, and he's quite convincing. He's quite persuasive. He does not, he just doesn't take no for an answer. Um, he, he's quite persuasive. And so I just need to put it out there. Jesus is the one that changes the heart. And so Philippians 1.29 is another one. It has been granted to you that you should believe. It is that, that is a gift that I have been given to believe in him. Faith that we, again, faith that we muster up on our own, is, it somehow points back to me. I love the hymn, and I, I, we've sang it here before, this uh, Come Ye Sinners. Joseph Hart wrote it, and then one of the verses says this, Let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dream. And he's talking about fitness, our, just our ability to stand before the Lord, this faith that we're talking about. All the fitness he requireth is to fill your need of him. So he's requiring this fitness to, for us to feel our need of, of Christ, to have faith. The very next line is what? This he gives you. This fitness that he requires of you, he gives you the thing that he requires of you. Again, what did the two one say? We're dead in our trespasses. We're sons of disobedience. We're children of wrath. How could we at all somehow be convinced? We can't. He has to change our wicked hearts. And then, once he gives us the faith, we then call upon him. Go ahead, Andy. I want to add, this is something that, that you, and, you, you taught me emphatically in our men's Bible study one day. I bet Todd remembers this one. Somebody basically said, that, but, you know, that's good, Mike, but you have to believe, like you have to put your faith in him, and that's not something God can do for you. And you turned us to John chapter 6, um, verse 28, and they said to Jesus, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? And verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You know, that's God, it's God's grace mm-hmm. that you have faith. Right? Good. Yeah. Absolutely. And that kind of was the opposite of what that person was saying. It just has always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to quote in John 6, and we preach through it a lot, but it just hit me that when there's a lot of people that make that exact argument that, well, yeah, I mean, I understand all that you're saying, but, you know, but I had to do it. I mean, I had to go forward and I had to put my faith and trust and belief in Him. You did. You're right. Except. It's God who works in you, both the will to do it. Good. In fact, Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's good. You don't get credit for any of it. And no. that rubs a lot of people, a lot of evangelical people wrong too, about reformed people that literally we can't even take credit for our own testimony. Mm-hmm. It's it's not our testimony, mm-hmm. right? It's about him. That's it's right. A, it's a testimony about him and what he's done in my life. It's not my testimony. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, Todd, go ahead. Just to touch on this real quick, because we were talking about the, you know, the church that I was in, the church of Christ, you, you read this same verse uh, in 2 
Eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that of yourselves, and the gift of God, of the works, let's see what you boast. And, and what we hung on to there was grace. That was the gift of God, not faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of a, just a slid in there. Yeah. What's interesting is no Christian will stand and say, work, save me. No Christian says that. But it's through these little nuance, like you just gave, that we do. Well, yeah, it was the grace of God working in my life, but ultimately I'm the one that said, yes, Lord. No, you're not. <laughs> the Lord said yes to you because of, and not because of something that you've done, because he's good. You're not. And that's ultimately what does that go? It, it goes to the fact that we don't want to let go of this shred of goodness we believe that we have. And that, that is it. You know, and that's, we, we tell people, we talk about the doctrines of grace, and we say if you, if you don't get the first one, the rest of them just unravel. And that's the total truth. We don't believe we're totally depraved, so we don't believe any of the rest of it either. But Ephesians 2 gives a pretty hard argument to the fact that, yeah, I'm completely gone by myself. Um, there's no, I mean, I don't know how you get around it, but people manage to. And so, and then when you get around it, all of a sudden, yeah, grace is the gift, but faith is something that I contribute to the equation. And if I contribute anything, I might as well put my tail between my legs and go back to Rome. That's the facts. I mean, they'll, they'll welcome you right down the road. Because they believe that, yeah, we God does some of it and we do some of it. And there's this whole thing called salvation that we've done together. Me and God, we're a team. No, we're not a team. We're, uh, he, he does it. Tim. Yeah. Tim, go ahead. Well, it goes back to the whole thing. When you talk about the souls of the Reformation, it's not that the Roman Catholic Church would have said, we don't believe in Scripture, we don't believe right. in grace. It's the sola is the important part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's grace alone. Uh, it's God's grace alone. Not His grace cooperating with us or something along those lines. And um, I don't know if you ever noticed this. I noticed this point when we were in Kentucky, but... Uh, um, have you ever seen a, a, a Mason's uh, light? You can buy a Mason's license plate in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know what the slogan is? Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is universal. Making good men better. Yeah. Right? That's the American religion. But that's also the ancient religion. You sure. We're basically good, and God's gracious makes us a little bit better, a little bit more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really anti gospel Absolutely. And it, well, it goes all the way back to the garden, right? I mean, what did the serpent tell Eve? You won't surely die. He's just trying to hold out on you. Because you're actually good, and he's afraid that you're going to be great. And it, it's, the, it's the thing that man's believed since they first started listening to someone else. And it's, uh, it's a, you don't, you know, you just paint it and put another box on it, still garbage. You know? um, and so I think that's important. And that you brought out a good point. Sure, they believe in grace and faith and all those things, but they don't believe that they stand alone. They believe that we have to somehow stand with them, and that is not what the scriptures well, teach. Ephesians two was completely was a 
Yeah, and I, I don't know how they get around it. but yeah. We were talking about Bob Warren, the Bible teacher. That, what did he used to say, Todd? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Mm, that's good. You know, but you can't add to the work that he's done. And, uh, you know, we sang that song, It's All of Grace, today. That's a hard one for me. It's, it's just so much truth in there, you know. But I was doing some reading on that. It was an Isaac Watts poem about God's grace. Mm. And uh, some people kind of rediscovered it and put some, you know, added a few words to make it a little more singable. But, man, it's true, you know. He, we're the dry bones that have been made alive. We're the blind man who was blind from birth and God gave the vision to and Lazarus stinking in the tomb and all those things. And if we ever get beyond that in our testimonies about who we are, what we're doing, or our message, mm-hmm. like if we try to outsmart that thing, well, that's all good, and God can do all those things for His own glory. But if we're really going to build a church, man, we're going to have to do this and do this, and we start coming up with these gimmicks and things and get hundreds of people to come in the first few weeks. And I've been hearing about this. And I'm like, man, that's great if it's really God moving there. But, I mean, if we add anything to this message, we'll dilute it down. It won't take any time. And yep. it'll end up in a big scandal or just in nothing. It's, it's very easy to, to add to it. And the only thing we can add to it is ourselves. Yeah. And that's, that's good. So, just quickly talk about this idea, and it, and it, it all leads together. I mean, the, the whole of the Reformation and the five souls, they all kind of come to this conclusion that it's in Christ alone. If it's by grace alone, which is completely from God, not our own doing, if it's by faith alone, again, it's gift to us, not, a, not our, our own, then it must be the work of Christ alone who does that. And so turn with me then to Romans chapter 5. And I think this verse really, more than just about anything, shows us the thing that Adam did and then the thing that Christ did to undo it. So Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to, to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's it. What are they made righteous by? One man's obedience. Not one man's obedience and my own intellectual assent to that obedience, to that truth. Not his obedience and my own Believing the claims of Christ, you know what, what's the the one book that claims that you know that he considered all the claims of Christ and believed them to be right, and so therefore he believed. That's not how this works. He, uh, me, as a sinner lost, as a child of disobedience, as a son of wrath, I don't believe any of it. I never seek after him. I only seek after myself. I may as well be the serpent in the garden, and. What does he do? He changes me so that I believe. It's his righteousness. That work that he did alone that saves me. Nothing I add to it. 
You know, but our, another verse that I quote a lot, Second Corinthians five twenty one. He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the very picture of what we mean by justification. I mean, if you think of a courtroom setting, I stand accused of all the sin, and I deserve all the punishment. And Jesus comes in, not because I've somehow asked him to or believed in him or any of these things. He comes in and does something that doesn't make any sense. He takes upon me the punishment that is due to me because of the sins that I committed. And he gives to me the reward that was due him because of his sinless and his holy life. It makes no sense. And so that is justification. We have been made right before God. The judge looks at me and says, never mind. You're off the hook. You've been acquitted of your crimes. Your sins have been atoned for by this one. And it just happened to be the one that the judge was, was pleased to crush. Like we read and we'll, we, we will study in Isaiah. And so again, it's all about Christ. It has nothing to do with our own ability to somehow stand up and produce something that is in any way worthy. We can't produce anything worthy. Even the good works that we do now have been prepared for us in Christ. We don't somehow do them of ourselves. He has prepared them that we might walk in them. You just read verse 10 of Ephesians 2. So nothing good comes from us except for Him. Any thoughts, any questions before we close today? This is like, this is like what we want Redeemer to be all about. Yeah, absolutely. Explaining these things, teaching them, discipling people to know about them, helping them with their backgrounds and all the baggage they have. We've done that here. People from the Church of Christ, Roman Catholic, or just regular old sinners like me that were a buffet of evangelical Christianity but I was a fake and so I mean this answers all of that and if we preach this like we heard great comfort I mean, God was just basically saying and y'all heard it probably before if you haven't you gotta listen to them it's all over the internet mm-hmm. preaching the gospel one on one to people he just tries to get them down to, to why do you think God would accept you he just shows you real quick you're a sinner why do you think God would accept you? Well, because God is love, and He gets to explain justification, grace, faith. Mm. And we have some people in here that are experts in that already. It's the thing God uses. The good news is that there is a God who has shown love and grace and mercy and will justify sinners. That's that's the gospel message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is those things... The soul lives are, so, are that important. Uh, to, to me, they're everything. And, and it, they're in jeopardy in a lot of places that I could go to church, not Redeemer, but just in this town. And and you all know what I'm talking about. When you're there and you just kind of cringe like, ooh, you know? And I love the people, you know? And these are the same people I fellowship with and love. But you just, you know what I'm saying? You hear it and you're like, ooh. Absolutely. I mean, that sounds like, <laughs> you know, and you, 
you're trying to choke that down a little bit. So, okay, don't be that guy. Andy, yeah. or Courtney, and grab it. Don't be that guy, honey. <laughs> okay, all right. But let me tell you, it's a slow fade, and then it just kind of, you just, who knows where that's going to end up. What we're trying to do here is to stay on the message that we've been on for since a long time, since the Reformation and before. Mm-hmm. It's just about Christ and what He's done like this. Like, we, we're not going to learn anything bigger or more important than that. No, that's exactly right. That is the chief of doctrines, that He is He is it. He is the only one of salvation. Good. Any other thoughts before we close? All right, well, let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, again, are just overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy for us, that you would come to us as children of wrath, as sons of disobedience, that you would come to us even while we were still sinners, and that you would die for us. And that you now, at the right hand of the Father, invite us to come, to pray, to seek you out, to learn from you. Jesus, we pray that you would continue to grow us up in these doctrines, that we would never be settled in them that we would never say okay I get that now and that's it no but that we would continue to grow that you would continue to grow us and that we would be able then to teach others it's in Jesus name we pray amen